Crave, how we doing? It's really good to see you. It's good to see some first-time faces, some first-time and a long-time faces. It's good to see those of you who are here every week. We love you. We're glad you're here. My name is Kevin. I'm the high school pastor. And tonight we're kicking off a new series called Upper Room. Uh, This is a nine-week series, which I know is long. This will take us all the way through Thanksgiving. But I think what we're going to study is super important. Uh, And if you were on fall retreat last weekend, I hope that was a blessing to you. Yes. Um, Tonight, you'll see there's some overlap. It was one of those things where uh, somebody asked me this this past week. Hey, when do you write these messages? Like, when do you decide what's going to be talked about? Uh, And that's something that I wrestle with uh, the Holy Spirit over for weeks and weeks and weeks. But these messages and the topics are selected months in advance. Uh, And it just so worked out that for those of you who are at Fall Retreat, our final passage for Sunday morning is the same passage we're hitting today. And when I saw that, initially I was like, man, I don't know. Is that lazy? Does it seem like maybe, you know, I'm just recycling? And I promise you, uh, that's something I thought about, but I don't think that's it. In fact, in Scripture, when you see something repeated, it's because that point is very important. Uh, And so I I finally landed in this place of going, you know what, we're going to look at the same passage. That's okay. And so for those of us who were in the mountains last weekend, I think maybe God really is trying to drill this down for us. And for those of you who weren't with us, it'll be fresh and there's no worries. Uh, I want you to think about tonight, if you were going to get to sit down to one last meal with the people you're closest with, what would you say? Like, this is it. This is your last hurrah, your last meal. And you're with the people that you love most dearly in all the world. What do you say? Like, what's that conversation like around that table? I can't even really begin to guess, but here's what I do think. I think most of us who operate up here in this very shallow area where we talk about silly stuff, I think that would fall by the wayside. Like if you knew your life was coming to an end and this is your last chance, I think those words would carry a lot more weight. I think the final words that anybody speaks carry significant weight. And so as we dive into this series, I want you to understand uh, we are looking at Jesus in the upper room. Uh, If you have any familiarity with the end of Jesus' life, they they withdraw, they being Jesus and his 12 disciples, into this upper room. And they they take the Last Supper, and some things are done, and some things are said. And I just think this this section of John that we're going to be in for nine weeks is, is very important. So if you are just that person who loves homework, like you're that person who reminds the teacher you forgot to give us homework. First of all, stop. No one likes that. But second, if you want to study more, uh, we're going to be in John 13 through 17 for a little over two months. So that, that's what we're going to be looking at. And our theme verse from this series actually comes from John 17. It's verse 17. And we've been trying to challenge you to memorize some scripture. I think that's helpful for you. The theme verse for this series, John 17, 17 says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. This is Jesus praying, not just for the people he shared that upper room discourse with, but he's praying for all disciples throughout all of time, which is you and me. And his prayer is that we would be made holy by the truth and that his word would would penetrate our hearts, his word, which is truth. Uh, 
And so that's my prayer for you at the outset of the series. It's my prayer tonight, and I'm excited for us to dive in. Um, but before we really start addressing what happens at the beginning of John 13, I want to talk about a philosophy that I think is prevalent in our world today. How many of you have pretty strong knowledge of philosophy? Anybody take any philosophy classes? Okay, you've not studied this one in your class, I don't think. Uh, go ahead and put my first picture up. This is what I call Ricky Bobby philosophy. <laughs> if you ain't first, you're last. You're last. Does this just make a lot of sense to anybody? You're just like, I, I feel that in my soul. Um, if you don't know, this is from a very silly movie that I would not necessarily endorse you watching called Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. And Ricky Bobby, as a little boy, is told by his father, who's a very not responsible human being, if you ain't first, you're last. And this, this simple phrase that's so grammatically correct drives Ricky Bobby's whole life. He, he builds an entire philosophy, an entire way of living around if you ain't first, you're last. And it's a silly movie. I mean, it's a silly quote. And later in the movie, his dad actually tells him, it's not a great quote. I didn't tell you that quote under the best of circumstances. But I'm telling you, I think some of us fall victim to this mentality. I've got to be the best, right? You feel that drive. I've got to be number one. I've got to be on top. Like, I have to be the most important person when I walk in any room. I've got to be the best when I walk in the room. i got to... If, if you feel some of that, I just want to set you free from that tonight and help you understand uh, this is not true. This is not a good way to live. Anybody who know who Nelly is? Anybody ever heard of Nelly? I, I'm going to date myself here a little bit with some early 2000s hip hop. Uh, we can put my next picture up. Nelly had a song called Number One. Does anybody know this song? Can we, can we put my next picture up? Maybe it's coming. Nope. Slide back. It was just delayed. This was a lyric from the song, and I, I will not rap it for you because I'm not cool enough to wear sunglasses inside like Nelly. Uh, two is not a winner, and three nobody remembers. What does it take to be number one? You can go back, check that out if you want. Again, don't necessarily highly recommend it, but the whole song is about being top dog, about being number one, about being the best. And if, if you're living in this trap, Again, I just want to set you free from something tonight. I, I gave you blank handouts tonight. Uh, there, there's no fill in the blanks. Maybe that works for you. Maybe it doesn't. But I want you to write this down. Life isn't about you. You can write me if you want to say it for yourself later. Life isn't about you. Sometimes we, we walk around as if I have to be number one. I have to be the best. I have this pressure to be the best in my class or the best on my team or the best in my neighborhood, the best at Crave, the best, the best, number one, number one, number one. It's all about me, 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 me. And it's not. Your life is not about you. It's just not. You're not the star. And if you can get that, I think it will set you free from so many things and it will help you understand a lot of what Jesus is doing here at the beginning of our passage. So if you didn't already scroll there or flip there, John 13, we're going to look at verses 1 through 17. John 13, 1 through 17. If you're a bookmarking type, like I said, we'll be here for weeks, so you can go ahead and put one there. I'll summarize the first couple of verses for you. Uh, Jesus has gathered with his disciples, uh, and he is, uh, what, what the Bible is telling us is he realizes what time it is. He realizes that his hour has come. This is a theme throughout the book of John. He realizes he's about to leave them. And so uh, what it says, and we'll go ahead and roll over to verses four and five. This is really where I want to launch tonight. 
says, he got up from the table, took off his robe and wrapped a towel around his waist and he poured water into a basin and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Okay, so Jesus, the king of the universe, is washing feet. Uh, anybody here just brave enough to admit that feet are disgusting and gross? Would you just, can you, can I get an amen? amen. Thank you. I, I think feet are gross. Uh, we'll put a picture of some feet up on the screen for you just to, yeah, there they are. That's gross. If your feet look like this, we don't want to shame you. This is a place of love, but maybe consider washing your own feet if your feet look like this. Uh, feet today are nasty. Like, I, I just think feet are, feet are nasty. Oh, y'all took it back now. No, put my feet back up there. I, wanna, I want us to really, let's sit in this a minute. Yeah, feet are gross. Are those yours? Those are not my feet. I Googled dirty feet, and this is one of the first pictures that came up. Would never put my feet on a picture in front of you people. That's nuts. But today, like we put socks on and we put them in our shoes or maybe we do put on some chacos, I think like this person did, and we walk around. Our feet, they get dirty. They stink. Like you do need to actually bend over and wash your feet in the shower if you didn't know that. Again, we try to be a full service ministry. This is for the health of your life. Wash your feet. Um, but in the ancient Near East, they didn't have paved roads like we have today. And so when they walked around in their Jesus sandals, right? We, just Jesus, you get it. Um, their feet would get really dirty. They'd get really gross. Here's another thing you have to understand about the ancient Near East. If we sat at a table today, most of us, like we're sitting in a chair. Uh, that's why I brought this chair out. We would sit like this, okay? And our food would be up here. If we're doing some work, it's up here. In the ancient Near East, their tables were much lower. And so when you sat down to eat, your feet were kind of near the table. So it was important to have clean feet because nobody wants to have nasty, disgusting, stinky feet at the table. My two and a half year old son, he thinks it's the funniest thing in the world to put his feet on me. And he just cackles. And I'm like, son, you're gross. And he just thinks it's even more funny. He keeps doing it. But even my sweet son, who I love, his feet are nasty. They smell. He puts them in his shoes with no socks on, which again, if you do that, no shame. But what are you doing? <laughs> feet are gross. And Jesus is the one who steps back to wash these feet. Now, if you were a servant in the ancient Near East and you were on the bottom of the totem pole, that was your job, washing feet. If you got any kind of promotion, the first thing that would roll off of your responsibilities would be, cool, new guy, you have to wash the feet. I'm not doing it anymore. It's not my job because feet are gross. And it's Jesus who leads by example. It's Jesus who begins to wash feet. And if you kind of read through the middle part of the scripture here, I won't read it all to you for sake of time, but Peter objects. Peter often is the one to speak up, but Peter realizes Jesus, you're, you're Jesus. You shouldn't be the one doing this. Really one of us probably should have thought to do this for the benefit of the group, but none of us did. But, but Jesus, I definitely don't want you to wash my feet. You're the king. And Jesus has this whole exchange with him about, well, I have to wash you so you can be clean. And there's, there's more going on there than just feet. Uh, but you skip on down a little ways and, and we read this in John 13, uh, 13 through 15. Addressing the disciples, he says, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Now, Jesus doesn't mean right then and right there because like the physical cleansing has already taken place in that moment. 
what he's saying is, I've done this for you, now you have to go and do this for others. And if you've ever been part of a foot washing ceremony, you know it can be a little uncomfortable, it can be a little weird, it can be a little self-conscious, it can be a little gross, which is why I'm so excited for you in small group tonight. No, we're, no, we're, we're really not. We're not washing feet tonight. No, we're not. We're not doing it. We're not doing it. But because I don't think that's what Jesus means for us today. And this is why you have to read the Bible with some discernment. Like washing feet today is not the same thing as it was then. What he's saying here is do the things for other people that cause you to humble yourself. And listen, maybe it is washing feet and I'm not, I'm not knocking modern foot washing ceremonies. If you've ever done that, it can be powerful. But I just think there's a lot of other things that we could be doing that Jesus is, is calling us to. And before you get up on your high horse and go, well, I, but I don't, I, you know, it's not, not for me. I don't want to do it. I don't, you know, don't want to humble myself to that point. That's what Jesus did. Well, but surely I don't have to do it for everybody. Like just, like just the people I like, just the people who like me back. No, because you know who's still in the room when he does this? Judas. Now he's getting ready to leave in the back half of this chapter. More on that next week. But when Jesus starts washing feet, Yes, the 11 men who remain faithful to him are there, but also Judas Iscariot, who will later betray him with a kiss that same night, is in the room. And Jesus washes his feet. So I want to challenge you. And this is kind of one of the Brookwood catchphrases if you've been around long enough. I want to challenge you. Write this down. Live like Jesus. Live like Jesus. I think... One of the greatest obstacles to people who aren't believers is when they look at those of us who claim to be believers and we look nothing like Jesus. We say, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. But you don't look at all the way Jesus did when he lived. If you were to just be honest with yourself, does your life look like Jesus? Does it reflect that you know Jesus? Does it seem at all to anybody who observes you that you have a relationship with him? Your life should be a testimony to who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. He is the example that we follow. In fact, Paul writes this at the beginning of Ephesians chapter five, verses one and two. We'll put that on the screen. Maybe. Sweet. Imitate God. In everything you do, because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. We do this thing where we like to compare ourselves with other people, like in this room even. We're like, well, I'm better than them, of course. I haven't done that, so I must be doing okay. And what we've got to stop doing is comparing ourselves to the people in the room or the worst person we know and start looking at our lives as it compares to Jesus. Do we look anything like him? Are we modeling what we do after him? It says that he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. When's the last time you sacrificed anything at all for somebody else? When's the last time you let your desires, your wants take a back seat to what somebody else wanted? And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying go out here and be a doormat and let people walk all over you. I am saying live humbly like Jesus did. Follow his example. Jesus loved people who didn't love him back. Jesus 
carried within him the emotions of the people he was close with. One of the verses that people most often say they've memorized is the shortest verse in the Bible, which is Jesus wept. Like, yeah, I know that one. Do you know why Jesus wept? Because some friends of his were very sad and they were in mourning for the loss of a loved one. So if you want to live like Jesus, you weep with those who weep. You rejoice with those who rejoice, Romans 12, 15, like you share the burden of people around you. Jesus forgave people. He showed mercy. He showed grace. He showed love. Do you do those things? Are you living like Jesus? And I want to ask you to carry this question with you uh, as we leave from here tonight. It's a, it's a simple question. And if you've ever noticed this about me, I, I have always got one of these bracelets on. I've got like a really serious tan line from having worn these since the 90s when they were cool the first time, all through the 2000s when like they weren't. Uh, but the question is, what would Jesus do? WWJD, right? If you find yourself in a situation, you're like, I don't really know how I should handle this. Ask yourself this question. What would Jesus do? Like if Jesus was here, what would he do? How would he handle this? When you're confronted with difficult topics that are controversial and people love to argue about and you're getting ready to jump in, stop and ask yourself, hey, what would Jesus do here? How would he handle this? He wouldn't necessarily shy away from difficult conversations, but there's a right way and a wrong way to have those conversations. If you've ever been in an argument and you know that you're correct, but then you're a jerk, you were right, but you were wrong in how you did it. Can anybody identify with that? Or is that just me? Okay. What would Jesus do? How would he speak to people? How would he address situations? What would Jesus do? I challenge you to ask yourself this question on a regular basis. And just for you, something fun, something special. In the back, if you can look at the tables there on the other side of the Bible, I bought a bunch of WWJD bracelets. Yes, they still make them. You can still buy them. And I did. And there's all kinds of different colors back there. And I, I just encourage you tonight, before or after you get to small group, grab one. If you're like, I'm never wearing this, that's fine. I totally get it. Maybe put it on your backpack, hang it from your rear view mirror in your car. I don't know. Put it somewhere you can see it. For me, I look down and see this often after I've done what I know I shouldn't have. So it's really more of a kind of after the fact conviction piece. And, and listen, that, that has a place. But just ask yourself, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus handle this? How should I speak into what's going on? I'm going to invite the band to get ready to come on back up. we got a big band tonight. They sounded awesome earlier. And as they're coming, I want to share with you a couple quotes. Uh, I reread this book this week. I think I've plugged this book before from the stage. It's called Everybody Always. It's by a guy named Bob Goff. Um, I've read this book several times. I've read most of his books several times. But this week, um, I, I, I dove completely back in. It was not my intention. Uh, but I wound up rereading this entire book. And I want to share some quotes with it from it with you, nailed it, um, as we get ready to close. Uh, this is from page 54. He says, it's easy to agree with what Jesus said. What's hard is actually doing what Jesus did. For me, agreeing is cheap and obeying is costly. Obeying is costly because it's uncomfortable. It makes me grow one decision and one discussion at a time. It makes me put away my pride. These are the kinds of decisions that aren't made once for a lifetime. They're made 30 seconds at a time. Hey, it's easy to talk the talk. It's hard to walk the walk because it's going to cost you. So if you really want to follow Jesus and you expect it to be easy, it will not be. Let me disabuse you of that notion. That's just not how it is. If you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you know it's hard sometimes. You have to recommit. You have to stay solid in this. 
You have to be humble. I'll share one more quote from the book with you. This is from towards the end of the book. He says, our problem following Jesus is we're trying to be a better version of us rather than a more accurate reflection of him. I misspelled reflection. Please forgive me. But, but, but catch this. Our problem with following Jesus is we're trying to be a better version of us rather than a more accurate version of him. If you've been wrestling with the same thing over and over and over and you're struggling and you're just deep in this well and you have no idea how you're going to get out, and this Christianity thing certainly hasn't seemed to fix it. And you, like something must be wrong. It might just be that you're trying to become a better version of yourself instead of trying to live like Jesus. I said, I've met very few people who don't like Jesus. I mean, who wouldn't? It's easy to admire Jesus and think he's a nice guy, but there's a big, big difference between liking Jesus and being like him. Maybe you've been keeping Jesus at an arm's length because you know if you really let him in here, he'll change your life, and he will. And it won't always be easy. Sometimes it will be hard. But I've been following Jesus for about half of my life now, and I've never regretted it. It has been hard. It's cost me something. But I just think what Jesus has for me is better, and I want to live my life like him. I want to stop and ask myself, what would Jesus do? I want to remember that life's not about me. It's about him. So if you've never taken that step to acknowledge Jesus as Lord tonight and you're like, ah, I don't know, grab somebody, grab a small group leader, grab me, grab an adult, grab a peer who you trust and you think is wise and have a conversation tonight. If you are following Jesus, but you realize you've just been kind of liking him, you haven't really been loving him, you've been not living like him, you just kind of think he's cool, I just challenge you, take a step forward tonight in your faith. Don't remain stagnant, don't remain where you are. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. He lived a perfect life. That he willingly sacrificed that life for us. We confess that most of the time we're focused on ourselves. We certainly aren't thinking about how we can serve and who we can serve. But God, we want to be more like you. So I pray that you would humble us. Help us to cast aside our pride, to live like you lived, to serve as you served, to be more and more like you every day. Holy Spirit, draw us close to you as the band plays. We commit this time to you. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray.